0: And as I look back at these four candles, I'm um, kind of shocked that we're already to Christmas, right? Like that it's gone so quickly. It's interesting if you if you keep time by the litness of the candle, you could can see the first candle is burned down quite a bit. And it represents something very interesting to me that we're here on the last Sunday of Advent as we go into Christmas season. And I'm just so glad to be together on this beautiful cold two degree morning. I love the coldness and the sun that comes with it, but If you um, haven't been able to be a part of what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, we've been in this, this Advent series that I've enjoyed so much as we look at the kingdom of God and the King Jesus of the kingdom and the different values that Jesus brought when he came with his birth, with his life, with his death and resurrection and his ascension. There's so many wonderful values that we are called to as the body of Christ, and if you've had opportunity to be here, you know we've been wrestling around with these different values. If you haven't, I would encourage you to go back. Jamie does a great job of putting all of our sermons online. They're even in a podcast kind of format. You can take a look at all of those, but we are leaning more the last Sunday here in Advent into this final kingdom value of love, and we're going to talk about that today. But I also want to join Jamie in just saying Merry Christmas to you all. In one week from today, we will be all in the middle of our Christmas traditions, right? Our Christmas morning traditions, whatever that looks like in your life, in this stage of your life right now. And uh, with that comes all the nostalgia, comes all the, the wonderful celebrations, the gatherings, the family, the gifts. Um, the Christmas Eve traditions. I'm so excited to be together on Christmas Eve, but you also will probably be in doing different things, maybe driving around, looking at lights. There's all sorts of wonderful, nostalgic um, type traditions that we experience. And sometimes, um, depending who you are, there's also a bit of chaos that comes with that. There's also a bit of uncertainty and anxiety and, and a little bit of craziness that comes with all of those traditions. And what i want to do is just look at a couple of those for example gift giving might be a Christmas tradition that you do. When I was growing up in our home, um, it was sort of a scene out of Animal Planet, if you will, when it came to the gifts. When we were growing up, uh, I remember getting up on a Christmas morning as a little guy and, you know, Santa had come the night before. There's gifts underneath the tree and we would get in and and somebody always played Santa. And as the oldest child, oftentimes it was me who would say, hey, this is to Steve from Beth. And I'd hand out the gift and Steve, my brother, would just tear into the gift, right? Like, that's how we did it. There wasn't a lot of like um, carefulness to the opening the gift. There was no, oh, look at how beautiful the wrapping paper is. Let's gently undo it or the ribbon. There was really none of that, right? And of course, things change over time. And when Marie and I got married and I started going to their family Christmas, there was almost a recycle-mindedness to the gift opening. Not totally. But there was definitely an attention given to things that I was not used to as sort of a, uh, you know, powerful gift opener, ripper, if you will. But, you know, all of a sudden we're like, oh, let's save that paper and we'll use it next year. Or save the ribbon and we'll use it next year. And it was just a different tradition than I was used to. I had to adjust to it, um, so many different things about it that I could say, but it's been a little bit of an adjustment, right? And Christmas is like that. We have so many things this week, in addition to our regularly scheduled lives, that we will lead into different traditions that have the power to point our eyes on good things, but not necessarily the thing that we're here to celebrate. And so, all I want to do this morning. And I'll just admit to you that this has been a really busy week. So I prayed this morning and said, God, I am not ready to give this message because the message that I want to present to you today is so powerful. Anytime you talk about the love of God, you are talking about a life-changing thing. So would you with me take a deep breath this morning and slow Christmas down? All those things that we mentioned, they're wonderful. Your family traditions, your gift giving and gift getting. All of the things that we're going to do, they're beautiful, they're wonderful. Enjoy them. But just for a moment, let's slow down and focus our eyes on this incredible gift. And let me frame it for a minute. We are turning our attention at Christmas, at the most magnificent event in history this is the moment i mean the most active force in all of creation god the creator of the universe god who uh, we believe originated over and above time broke into human history put on flesh and all the weakness and all the messiness, came into the world. Why? Because of His love. We need to slow it down and remember how powerful the words are when it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Now, this passage, John 3.16, is one that you have heard undoubtedly a million times in your life, especially for those of you who grew up in the church. I mean, how many of us can envision the person standing in the end zone of a football game, nice win yesterday, Vikings, by the way, standing in the end zone with the John 3.16 sign? I don't think they let you do that anymore, but it still is a popular brand in my mind, right? Like this verse is so popular, we sometimes miss the depth of it, that it is one of the most significant verses that define our faith. And what I want to do today is actually look at the preceding verses to John 3.16. I actually want to look at the life of Nicodemus, um, a person that you've undoubtedly heard sermons about before, studied maybe yourself, but let's just use Nicodemus as a way to engage the love of God today. And what's so interesting about this interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus, is it's an amazing, in my humble opinion, an amazing example of how we can relate to Christ in this season. And especially as we are trying to live into these kingdom values that Jesus has for the world, the kingdom value especially of love. This idea of new birth is the ultimate kingdom value that I'd like to close our Advent series with today. So let's just look quickly at John chapter 3. And uh, what I want to do is look at the... the whole story of Nicodemus. So, if you have your Bibles and you want to open up to John chapter three, there's Bibles in the pew. You can use it on your phone on the U Version uh, Bible app. We also have the scripture that's listed there first. But before we read the scripture, let me just let's just talk a little bit about what we know about Nicodemus. These are these are the details about Nicodemus's life that we know, and I want you all to hear this because I want you to be able to relate to Nicodemus, especially as we're trying to slow. Christmas down. So what are the facts about Nicodemus? Well, first of all, we know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. And basically what a Pharisee was, was a religious elite person. These are people who took God very seriously. They had a very legalistic way of approaching religion. They had a a rule of law that they leaned into. They followed the scripture's rules to the letter. They were very religious, religious elite people. We know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. We know, number two, that Nicodemus was a ruler, that he was a leader of sorts. He was part of a religious leadership group called the Sanhedrin. And I won't go into a lot of the Sanhedrin except to say this, the Roman government, which ruled over the region at the time, they didn't know what to do with the Jewish people who had a monotheistic view of God. In Roman, the Roman world, there was many gods, right? But these Jewish people had this singular focus on God. So they put together this leadership council called the Sanhedrin. And they said, we don't know what to do with the Jewish people and your religious worship. So the Sanhedrin, you're in charge of the religious order. You need to know that Nicodemus was in the highest leadership position that a Jewish person could have at the time under that Roman government rule. Also, Nicodemus was highly educated. Um, The name Nicodemus is Greek. It's not a Jewish name. It implies that he had been studied somewhere in the Greek world, somewhere else outside of Jerusalem, and he had this educated perspective, which probably points to the fact that he understood culture and education. We also know that Nicodemus was incredibly influential. He was a ruler of the Jews. He had this highest political office available to him under Roman occupation. He was positively powerful and highly educated. And here he comes in John chapter 3 to Jesus by night. We're going to read it in a second in this almost secret meeting. And we don't actually know why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. We don't know the whole reason was he afraid? Was he afraid of something? Was, there, was he worried about something? I'm not sure, but we knew that he wanted to have an intentional conversation with Jesus. And so in John chapter 3, let's go ahead and read that now. It says this, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, and I want you to pay attention to this, very truly, to, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How, come, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born so here we have the scene at night these two rabbis nicodemus this ruler this highly educated person this person who knew everything he's having this serious conversation with jesus and they're talking about important matters nicodemus has some questions as educated as he is in a position of authority he has some questions for jesus and there's some courage that comes with Nicodemus in this situation. He's putting himself on a limb to ask Jesus these questions. And the reason is this. The Sanhedrin that Nicodemus was a part was not a fan of what Jesus was doing. They were constantly trying to convince people not to listen to Jesus. Nicodemus isn't following the Sanhedrin party line. He's actually putting himself in a dangerous position but he's curious he's got questions he sneaks out in the middle of night he doesn't want to create a ruckus he goes against the party flow because he wants to find out what this jesus was all about in john 3 3 jesus says truly i tell you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god now we have to understand something very significant as we wrestle with this text, especially as we consider this series that we've been going through when we lean into the kingdom values that God has for the world, Nicodemus checked all the right boxes in his life. Every single one. He was a moral man. You couldn't have been a Pharisee without having a reputation of being a moral person, a rule follower, a religiously rule following person. Nicodemus was obviously hardworking. He had um, been, you know, probably voted in to some degree or appointed to this position of leadership. He must have been a hard worker. You wouldn't just get that kind of a position. Nicodemus knows the scriptures. Did you know that every Pharisee, every rabbi had to have the Torah memorized, word for word? The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Every word. Every single word was memorized, right? I know that's probably on your New Year's to-do list to memorize the Torah. It's going to be really fun when you get to Numbers and Leviticus, right? Yeah. But people would come to him for insight into these things, right? Highly educated, knew the scriptures. He was a leader in this religious community, and he was a part of a religious community. He was accountable. There was a culture of accountability, Frankly, what Jesus says to Nicodemus is probably offensive. Jesus says you cannot see the kingdom with all these rules you follow, with all your education, with all your leadership, with all the hard work that you put into your life. You don't actually get to see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And in some ways, I would imagine Nicodemus is probably super defensive. Like, what are you talking about? Jesus? You you rabbi? Who are you to tell me how to live my life? I do all these things. I go to church. I read my Bible. I've studied it. I teach on the Bible. In fact, I lead people. Who are you to tell me that I need to be boarding again? What Jesus is doing in this moment is something that Jesus needs to do to us every day. To strip out of our hands This idea that somehow we can save ourselves with moral betterment or any sort of religious activity. Jesus is taking away the belief from Nicodemus that somehow you can work to be good enough to earn the love of God. That somehow you can do enough in your life to earn the love of God. If I'm somehow moral enough, if somehow I work and and am plugged in more enough to a spiritual community then somehow salvation will be mine. Jesus says, no, nope, you need to be born again. Now, I want to say we have a lot in common with Nicodemus, but maybe I'll say it this way. I have a lot in common with Nicodemus. Maybe you do too. Our love for God, for each other, often grows cold when we try to work our way through salvation because we set it up with temporary things. I talked to the confirmation students about this this morning. We oftentimes give ourselves to things that make us feel good in the moment, but they're temporary. They don't get us to where we need to be. Our love grows cold. Anytime we try to substitute God's love for any other temptation in our life or any other idol or any other place, anything that we place as more valuable than the love of God, our love eventually grows cold. And that's when John 3.16 and 3.17 come in. You've heard it before. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And I just want to land here today and let this soak in in our lives, especially this Christmas season, this last week of, of Advent. The calling is to remember God's love. God is love. God is love. It's not something that he does. It is who he is. It's what he is. What makes Christianity so distinct among all the world's religions is that we believe, as Jesus followers, as Christians, at the center of reality, there is a triune God. At the center of the apex of the universe, if you will, there is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they live in perfect harmony, which is articulated by love. And the overflow out of that love comes the beauty of all of creation. And what a week it's been to enjoy the beauty of living in Minnesota, right? Beauty of creation, the snow on the trees, the sunlight now pouring down on us. The beauty of all creation and generosity and love pour out of that relationship. At the center of the universe, we see the truth that changes everything. God is love. He does do loving things, of course, but far more important is that the best definition of God is that he is love. And for us, just like Nicodemus, to consider the depth of this love, to consider how it changes us, to recognize that there is a massive transformation, which is no small word, that happens in our lives that we are actually called to when we say yes to Christ. A total transformation that comes from this love in our lives, it changes everything about us, completely changes our identity, completely changes our understanding of where we belong and who we belong to. And it completely changes our understanding of what we are called to. This Advent season, we have the opportunity to put ourselves in a position to hear Jesus remind us of what it means to be born again. I know there's some baggage on that term, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we're reminded this morning of what transformation in Jesus really means and to do our best To live into this kingdom value that Jesus called us to. That love is what defines our life. We accept this love of God that we're called to, and then we give this love away. We accept the love of God, and then we give it away. And maybe there's no better text to point us to what that means than 1 John chapter 4. You've heard this text before. In fact, I used to sing this. This says a song at camp when I was a kid. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There are two things that I want to mention from this today as we sort of begin to apply this to our lives in this Advent season. Number one, God loves us so that we can love each other. God loves us so that we can love each other. Is there a better challenge for us this Advent season, even this week rolling into Christmas, than to lean into the love of God for one another in this world? This is the ultimate kingdom, kingdom, Jesus value. Of all the things that we've talked about this month, the love of God giving to others is the ultimate kingdom value of Jesus. And this passage is actually rooting us in God's love. I should be loving to you and you should be loving to me, not because we're worthy of it, Not because I've done anything really to earn it in your eyes or my eyes, but because God loves us and that gives us worthiness. And I'd like you just to think about, in your life right now, who is worth loving? There's a long list of people that you might think about who is worth loving, but who is on the list of not so easy to love people? Because they are also called to be loved by you. There's a lot of examples we'll give. I'll just let your imagination roll with that one. Our love for the world is a byproduct of God's love, which he gives freely through his son, Jesus. If we have, if we struggle with anger and bitterness, resentment, maybe we hold a grudge against someone, um, that should tell us something. In fact, I heard one pastor say that those emotions in our life, that cloud... Our love for others, it's like a check engine light for our soul. So do you lead with love? Do you lead with anger or bitterness or insecurity? Our God has even said, love your enemies. If we can't, it's a sign that maybe we're not as close to God as we should be. We are called to love others. That is what this this whole kingdom value that Jesus brought brings in. Number two, the text also shows us how God's love changes our lives. It says in verse 9, 1 John 4, verse 9, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Maybe for you, and I don't know everybody's story intimately, but maybe for you, every time you've been in church, or any time you've ever been to a Bible study, You've heard the pastor the Bible study leader talk about how much God loves you. But there's this voice in your head that blocks that out. Maybe it's something in your past that you've never been able to get over, that baggage that we all carry that's kept you from really leaning into being loved by the God who is love. Maybe there's something that has blocked you. You know, Satan, the enemy, whoever that is to you, has many schemes. And one of the ways that he loves to block us from living into this kingdom value is he loves to convince us that we're unlovable. He loves us to convince us that there's nothing or that there's nothing we can do to get over our past. That the baggage of our past past actually blocks us from being loved by God. That's not what this scripture says. This scripture says that God loved you so much that he gave his son for you. And all the bags of the past can never stop that. God loves you right now who you are. Not your future self. Not the you in two weeks. Not the you on Saturday and Sunday at Christmas. The you right now. I've struggled with this from time to time. I've got challenges. I've got problems. I've got sin that I'm working through. You probably do as well. We all sit in this space One of the best things that links us together is that we're all on a journey of brokenness and we're trying to live into this love that God has for us. And how do we know it's true? It's because Jesus came. He showed up. Jesus came. The birth of Christ that we celebrate this week, the crucifixion of Christ that we celebrate at Easter, the resurrection of Easter, and then the ascension. And we believe that Jesus will return again. It's because of God's great love that we know what love is and we know that we are loved. Be rooted. Be rooted in God's love this Christmas. It's not about the lights. They're beautiful. It's not about the gifts. It's wonderful. It's not about the great food that we hopefully will eat next week. It's about the love of God. Two things I want to say before we close. And this is for anyone who's joining us online and anybody in the room. This love of God is so generous that it begs a response from you. Maybe there's people who are hearing my voice through our technology or even in the room and you've never said yes to this love of Jesus. Maybe now's the time. Maybe now is the time for you to say yes to Jesus, to to be transformed by the love of of God for the first time ever. But secondly, maybe for those of us in the room, we would identify more with Nicodemus. That there have been rules and religion and other things that have taken the place of God's transforming love in our lives. Do you remember maybe when you first said yes to Christ? What a breath of fresh air, a transformation that would have been for you. Do you remember that? Now, prayerfully, we've all grown, right? Like we understand that there's a time where we grow, but what about that moment where you just can't get over the grace of God? That every moment it transformed your lives, that every moment we knew what we were committed to in this place. That term born again's got some baggage. It's kind of a modern term, right? Something that was used a lot, 70s, 80s, 90s even rolling into the 2000s. And some people, it's caused some confusion, right? It's been a barrier. It's kind of led to a more legalistic view of the Lord. But I want to tell you that when we talk about God being love, that God is love and that Jesus calls us to be transformed, this is the calling of our souls this Advent season. May we as a community lean into the beauty of this moment where we understand that the creator of the universe loves each of us, that Jesus calls us to be transformed. Is there a better celebration this Advent season, this Christmas season, to lean into the joy of the love of God? I'm so thankful for the example of Nicodemus. I'm so thankful that there was a person in Scripture that engaged Jesus in this way and gives us a roadmap of what it looks like to lean into the love of God. May you be blessed in that journey. And if it's you today who said yes to Jesus for the first time, whether you're online or in the room, or maybe for you it's a moment where you said, hey, I'm going to lean into that transformation, I'd love to hear about it. Maybe send me an email or let's get coffee. I'd love to talk about it and pray for you. And I'd love for you to pray for me as we're on the journey together. And this season, this Advent, this week, let us walk in the love of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit let's pray father we love you and we thank you for this unbelievable truth that your scripture gives us we thank you father that you have went out of your way to care for us to love us to give us hope in a future that you've looked at the brokenness of our lives dare I say the sin of our lives the things that have been a barrier to us and you built a bridge You made a way because, Jesus, you are a way maker. You sent your Son, God, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, and it started with this birth that we celebrate this week because of your great love. Father, thank you for this gift. Thank you that in this moment we celebrate that love. And I pray, Father, that we would let your Holy Spirit be what transforms our minds, our hearts, and our souls, and may it start tangibly with the way that we love each other. God, we are so thankful to be together as a community. We're so thankful for this Christmas, and in this Christmas season, God, show us the way to love. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you so much. Again, we pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and amen.